listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, the conversation we're about to have is one that brands, marketers, agencies in media have been debating for more than a decade. Yet we're talking about the agency tender and pitching process or when an advertiser goes to market to find who's best suited as a partner. Now, stories, as we know, from the trenches abound about the good, bad and ugly in agency review tenders, whether it's brands simply looking to hoover up new strategy, ideas and thinking for free from an eager agency market giving perhaps too much away too early, hoping to land the next client or an exercise from companies in cost out and efficiency over effectiveness. We regularly hear now of media agencies, for instance, being asked to bankroll media payments for 120 days for clients. Now, whatever the anecdote, the agency tender process continues to trigger heated debate. There are, of course, advertisers who do it well. So with this as the backdrop, Australia has done what almost no market around the world has attempted. Advertisers via the Australian Association of National Advertisers, the AANA, and media agencies via the Media Federation of Australia, the MFA, have jointly produced a set of tender and pitch guidelines designed to address flaws in the agency tender process. Now, codenamed Project Baxter after a punchy call from Australian expat and global CEO of Media Agency Initiative, Matt Baxter, to ditch the pitch, the AANA and MFA have produced this pitching and tender guidelines document that we're about to unpack. I've also spoken to Matt Baxter about this Australian initiative and he's made some typically robust points which we'll discuss a bit later. So on the mics today to discuss how progress can be made is a heavyweight lineup. Jenny Dill, CMO from Arnott's, Jenny Malhewish, Head of Group Brand Advertising and Media at Westpac, Mark Code, CEO of media agency group IPG Media Brands, and Megan Brownlow, a non-executive director, former PwC partner and MFA board member. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining. I reckon this is going to be a cracker. You get first dibs, Mark Code. The agency sector has been frustrated for a long time about how pitches and tenders are conducted. Just give us a quick summary of the issues as you see them from the agency side before we hear from Jenny, Jenny and Megan on their perspectives. Now, I'll caveat this question with some points Matt Baxter made over the phone to me from New York in recent days. He says he's not read the entire Australian pitch guidelines document yet, but globally, pitch and tender behaviour from brands is getting worse, not better. He's got four points he thinks have to be incorporated in a guidelines document if industry is to make any progress. Now, I'll quickly run through them. The first one is companies reviewing their contracts should ask agencies agencies to submit their commercial terms first before any work is done. Baxter says, and I quote, this is the problem. Every client will tell you with a smile on their face, it's not about pricing and it's not about media rates. It's about great strategy and wanting the best agency. But if the primary objective for a company is weighted to commercial cost imperatives, that's their prerogative, but be upfront about it. So that's the first one. Uh, submit commercial terms first. Second point he says is agencies shouldn't be asked to be a bank. 
What he means by that is 120-day agency payment terms are becoming a common agency clause from advertisers when agencies may have media terms of 45 days to pay. I quote Matt, this is the new very bad behaviour that has crept into agency reviews in Australia and around the world. Multi-billion dollar companies like P&G are asking comparatively tiny businesses like agencies to bankroll them. Procurement is trying to get a cash flow advantage at the expense of agencies. The guidelines should include never ask any agency to act as a bank. Third point, never ask an agency to pay to pitch or for costs related to procurement. We've seen that debate fire up uh, in recent weeks here with World Vision's review. Fourth one, he says, is a limit how many briefs go into a pitch. Baxter says, in my view, a pitch should include the max amount of work required to determine if the agency is a good fit. It could require planning on two products and or brands. A number of clients will try to jam 25 products and five brands in the tender just because they can get as much free stuff as they can, research, strategy and ideas. Some will try to have you plan an entire portfolio for a year. It's abusing the pitch process. It's opportunistic and very expensive. Clients are doing it all the time. So there's that. And finally, he says, if you look at all those four points, five points, 5% of pitches he sees globally would tick those four points. In the end, he says it comes back to fairness in the process. I don't want to devalue what's being done in Australia. It's one, if not the only market I'm aware of in the world that's grabbed this issue proactively between client and agency. But if we're going to have a meaningful impact, we have to push ourselves and tackle the root causes. Clients have made a good job of holding agencies to account on transparency, and rightly so, but I'll match their bet and throw fairness back at them. I noticed the word fairness in four areas of the Australian guidelines. There's just a lack of it. Now, that was a long detour, Mark Code, to get to your answer. Um, what's your view on all this? And and, and welcome. Thank you. That's, a, that's quite a long question. Thank you. Oh, it's probably the longest I've done, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, there's a couple of things wrapped up in that. One is... Um, uh, a view of Matt's comments, and um, the reality is each of those comments is in the guidelines um, in some shape or form. Um, whether it's um, agreement of terms, you know, you could put that in the category of um, stating the intentions of the pitch up front. If the intention of the pitch are commercial terms, um, and the uh, and the guidelines are followed, then then that should happen. Payment terms are well and truly covered in there, as is paying 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 to play, um, and the number of briefs. Um, so much of that is covered in the guidelines. Um, if we go back to the initial question of what are the issues, I mean, there are a few, and clearly there are some, or there wouldn't be these guidelines in the first place. But the issues for mine, if you ask me um, to define some of the issues... I definitely am. One is, strangely enough, some of these are aligned to Matt's comments. The first one is that often the, um, the, 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 the task can be incredibly onerous. You know, we, we often weigh up the size of the prize versus what's required of the task. Um, so often, you know, briefs are, or, or pitches are asking for way more information than, than what's required. So that, that would be an issue as I see it. Um, related to that is the length of some of these pitches. You know, we've had pitches go on recently for, you know, s some well over a year, which is an incredibly long period of time, um, COVID or no COVID. The third one is focusing on what's really needed as part of the process. And Matt did, did mention this. From time to time, we can see a fairly onerous briefing or pitch process, you know, with, with three three major strategic briefs to boot, um, and it comes down to a cost shootout at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, that, that to me hasn't defined the priorities of the task from the get-go. And the fourth one would be using the process to kind of flex muscle. You know, cl cl clients have the upper hand in this. There's no, there's no doubt about that, and there's no problem with that. But 
it's the pitch process that can bring out the worst of it. And, and, and you can include payment terms in that too. So one thing, uh, Mark, there is that if we talk about maybe the ideas shopping uh, and looking, getting things for free, is that sort of something you see as common and problematic or is it sort of rare? I don't think it's common. I mean, it's very easy to see some client work 12 months after you've pitched and not succeed. And go, oh, you know, that's, that's the work we put up. I mean, you'd never be able to define that. And Good ideas can come from everywhere. That's hard to define. And I don't think clients go into pitches with the intention of nicking ideas. I genuinely don't. My point is more around what's required. Just how many briefs do we need to answer to demonstrate to a potential partner that we've got what it takes? Right. So it's more about the... the the, what, what, what we put into the process versus the reward. Can you think of a good scenario where it's happened, like uh, where it's done, it's been enough and it's been a small number and it's gone over or unnecessarily over? I can think of many examples where it's, you know, it's very appropriate, the number of the briefs. And some of them are quite, but there was a client who gave us, I remember who it was, uh, I, I probably can't tell you who it is. Damn. I was hoping. I, mean, I thought we were there for, for there for a minute. But we, uh, we, we, we got a brief on a, on, a, on a, I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday, um, with a with a response due on the Monday. Now you know that may have torched a weekend, but it was indicative of what the client was looking for. The client was the type of advertiser that needed fast turnaround. It was likely to have some very short term needs um, of their new partner, um, and so tested our ability to spin that around quickly. And, I, and I'm up for that. Yeah, yeah, okay, we torched a weekend, but we certainly didn't torch a year. And they got, and they found what they were looking for. Right. Well, I'm going to come back to you on a couple of points, Mark. But Megan Brownlow, you're in a really interesting position, right? Because you're on the board of the MFA. You're a former partner at PwC, and now a non-executive director. Is the pitch and tender process as challenging as we keep hearing, and we have heard for you know at least ten years? I think I've been hearing it. Is it that challenging? What's your view on that? Yes, it is, and not just from the agency side, also for young marketers. If they've not been trained to write a good brief that's clear, they have just as much pain, they have just as much disruption. I think switching costs are underestimated often and that creates issues for the entire relationship. And sometimes there are tenders that are for illegitimate reasons, you know, uh, a good airing of grievance, a good performance evaluation that lances the boil of, uh, of, of a, a relationship that might have soured would do much better than going through these incredibly onerous, complex processes of tendering. Mm. So, yeah, I think for the proportion that aren't run well or not responded to well, I think the pain is real and that's why I really like these this pitch guide. When you talk about switching costs are, un, are underestimated, Megan, what do you actually mean by that? So for the agency, it's not such an issue, but for marketers having to move to a different agency, I think for the entire team to induct a new agency into understanding the business and all of the complexities of brands, particularly big brands, I think that's a huge undertaking for marketers. And it's a, mostly a time cost, but it also is a problem where they have missed opportunities while their new agency is getting up that learning curve. So the switching costs really sit with the marketers. 
Yes, and that's where you think it's underestimated, just how much of a load is in that. Both Jennies are nodding. Yes, I see that. <laughs> I'm about to go there because it's exactly right. We'll do that now. Uh, to Jenny Dillon, Jenny Malhiosh, and we do see the nodding. Um, let's hear from a couple of very experienced marketers who have been involved in numerous agency tenders. Uh, Jenny Dillon, I think you've said you've been involved in some you'd change if you had your time again. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But what, Jenny, what's Jenny Dill? What's your biggest observations on the current agency tender process where it falls down and where it works? Yeah, so for me, um, I think when it's done well, it can be a great opportunity to find a new business partner, an extension of your marketing team that can help you solve real business problems and drive growth for your business. And when it's done well, it could be three to six months worth of pitching process and transition, and you end up in a very new successful relationship very quickly. I think when it's done really badly, it could be 12 months of pain and suffering along the way. Um, In... In, in, in what is, I don't think any marketers are sitting around today going, hey, I've got three months of spare time up my sleeve. What am I going to do with it? You know, it's in addition to everything else that you're trying to deliver for the business. So it is a, a significant add-on. It's probably not, if we're completely honest, the DNA of most marketers to go through a rigorous tendering pitch process. Um, so I think it's a, it's a bit of a how how much appetite is there for it and how much time is there available to do it and then what's the outcome you want at the other end so it can be a very lengthy process and just like getting married off a speed date it can be a high-risk process so you know you're going through a pitch process but you you're literally in front of people for a number of hours and you're making a decision for the next five or ten years for your business it's a big deal yeah and you've been around a little while jenny so in terms of the uh, the early exposure you had maybe to uh, agency review and tender processes and what happened in those versus what you would do now. What, what are the sort of, give us a couple of key lessons that you've gone from as a, as a practitioner on the on the buy side. Yeah, I think, um, you know, particularly as a junior marketer, no one, no one shows you how to do this when you're first starting out. You go and have a couple of conversations, you kind of flail around a little bit, you might get a pitch doctor in to help you. But I think you constantly underestimate exactly what's involved doing this and doing it well. Um, and I think you learn the hard way often as you go through this experience. Um, some of the processes we run locally have been, you know, very, very good processes, very fair, very balanced, got to a good outcome. Some of the processes I've been involved in have been more global and have ended up with a, uh, a procurement exercise and filling in spreadsheets rather than a genuine meeting of capabilities and needs and the right commercials that fall out of that. So I think there's everything from a broad spectrum of um, strategic partnership, um, skills and needs, how do you find people to be a true extension of your brand team, all the way through to it's a procurement run exercise which may or may not give you what you need. And maybe the loudest voices in the market are those that push back against procurement, heavily weighted process towards procurement, and that's what we hear more than we do the good ones, that tends to be the human behaviour. Is procurement as, as, as strong and as dominant in the decision-making process around cost as we as I hear in the market, Jenny, Dill? I think my experience has been, it's been heavily weighted to procurement when it's been a global exercise. Um, Because there's big, big bucks at stake when you get into global exercises and um, they become much more involved. When we're running local processes here, I think you've got a lot more flexibility to have the right balanced conversation. But I think it all starts with your strategic brief and what's the weighting of the commercials that go with it. If it's only 30%, then make sure it's 30% of the time. Make sure that you're spending the other time elsewhere where you're you're valuing more of the capability the agency can bring. 
Yeah, and I think this this sort of debate actually uh, sort of puts it on the table to, to for awareness at least on some of these shortfalls. Uh, Jenny Malhewish, we saw you nodding as well around about that whole notion of switching costs. It's an incredibly intensive um, for client side, but your your view on where the pitching process has been and is at the moment? Yeah, I, I agree with what's been said. Um, the the fall down um, and where it works are very intertwined for me. So. As an example, you need to start with a really clear brief on what you're trying to achieve and why you're going to pitch. Mark spoke about it a little bit before, but if you're not clear on that and the answer's quite loose from the client side, then the process will be loose too. Um, I've heard Jenny say before, and I agree with her, it can't be a fishing exercise. So it fundamentally needs to be clear for all parties. It can also fall down when you don't plan or prioritise the time. It's not a side project. You need dedicated resource, you need focused people on it and you need to be clear on accountability. And I think that's where procurement can really help. Um, And you can also go too broad. Mark spoke a little bit about the amount of responses that you can be asked for. But I would also say don't get too excited and and invite too many people into the process because that's just going to add a lot more time to what you're doing. And it's actually, again, unfair on both parties. And just to add to what Megan said about the time it takes to hand over, the biggest thing that I found that people underestimate is things like the moving of IP and setting up new tech platforms. So it takes time, but it also impacts your reporting and your momentum because the the tech and the platforms, they need to relearn. And I would give yourself a minimum of six weeks. And that's a long time when you have stakeholders in your business asking for results. So you need to be really clear about that when you're going to see something and what you're going to see because that doesn't turn on overnight. Jenny Malhewish, the biggest, uh, I guess, lesson that you've learnt in, in, and I think you've been on both sides, right? So the, the biggest observation you, you would make in terms of these re, this review process, because both you, both Jennies are talking about um, sort of the guidelines and saying this is best practice, but we keep hearing this stuff about how there's bad practice out there. So have you seen bad practice somewhere? I think bad practice or you hear about bad practice when people aren't clear. I think it's that simple. And I think authenticity and honesty is really important because when you're when you're clear with your partners or your new partners about what you want to achieve and you have honest conversations, I think it takes the ambiguity out of it. Uh, we have a bit of a saying at Westpac, which is uh, be hard on the work, not on the people, but be really clear about what you want to get out of it. So I personally haven't um, experienced um, a terrible process in my career yet, and I hope not to, but 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 you hear of them, and I really do think it's that back to that fishing exercise and also people being unclear. You often hear people say, oh, I want to move to this agency because I've seen them do X for this client. Well, you might be a really different client to that client, and the agency that you're aspiring to work with might not actually have some of the capability or content or different programmatic buying. So I think, again, you just need to be really clear on what you want, but you also need to find an agency that shares the same values as, as you as well. To both Jenny's and Jenny Dill first, I guess, and it's a little bit of a Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Dixer, but but why do we need these guidelines and, and will they actually help? Because some of the stuff that we're all talking about is pretty common sense in some ways, you know, of, of what should what is good practice, but it's not happening. Um, so Jenny Dill, these guidelines, do we need them and will they help? You have to say yes, I guess. Absolutely. I think we absolutely need these guidelines. Will they help? Um, they should. So again, most marketers will deal with pictures of this sort of size and scale um, maybe a handful of times in their entire career. It's not something they do every day. So having the step-by-step guide there really helps you through what you should be thinking about, how you should be approaching it before you get stuck into you know, a six-month process briefing a bunch of agencies. 
Um, so I think just, just having that clarity of what you need, what your business needs and how an agency can help you, I think upfront is, is really useful. And then, you know, just helping some of the, the simple templates, the tools throughout, you know, going and talking to a pitch doctor, if that's what you think you need, um, it's, it's got to help. It just helps get transparency through the process and less opacity, I guess. Ginny Mel Hewish, they're going to work? They're going to help the market? Yeah, they'll definitely help. It's a great guide for um, someone that's new, that's starting out in the process, but also a great reminder for us that have done it many times. And I think anyone that's been through it, you know at the end uh, the things that you'd do differently or the things that you'd want to change. And there's nothing like having a process flow to go through. I'd even go as far as sharing that with your procurement teams, actually, and making sure that the way that you're going to judge um, the criteria of the pitches um, embedded into that as well. I think could almost definitely help. I've got to ask you just because you, you did bring the procurement question up, and it's as I said earlier, it's it's so often a point of uh, contention and heat in the in the market. How do you find procurement? Are they as hard nosed and, and sharp on the costs as we as we hear, or are they more strategic than that? I'm really lucky and fortunate. We we have a great team that we uh, work with at Westpac, and again, I, I really do think it's up to us as marketers to actually educate them as well as to why we're going into this pitch. And it's not always, it's it's multifaceted. So um, if you're really clear on what you want the outcome to be, then I think they're on the journey. And, you know, we, we can't shrink to greatness. So um, you can't, I mean, at what point do you, you know, get the cost down to the point where no one's successful? I don't think that's where we want to be. Jenny Dill, I've got to ask you the procurement. Are they as hard and sharp on the, on the cost as what we hear in your experience? In my experience, they can help run the process really well because they do this as part of their day job where most marketers don't. But most procurement people I've met have never been marketing experts. They've never been media experts. So I think actually when you can put those two skill sets together, I think you can get to great outcomes. And I think it has to be a genuine partnership to make it work. Yeah, I think we're even seeing the emergence of marketing procurement specialists, even uh, aren't we in some parts of the world? I'm not sure whether it's whether it's here. Now we have been talking about these principles, these pitching guidelines, and Megan Brownlow's going to be our saviour here and explain to us exactly, well, not exactly, a brief summary of, of what these what these guidelines are. What are the key points in there, Megan, that the market should should be uh, would benefit from and should know about? So the key point is that everyone should read it because it's stuffed full of really practical tools and examples and templates. Like this is a really useful document. But let me just give you how it all ladders up into four principles that can be used as a bit of a check. Checklist. So the first principle is respect. It's an obvious one. The point you are saying about common sense, yes, absolutely. But it's a good reminder. So mutual respect, which in practical terms turns into a statement of intent, a behaviour charter. These are all indicators of respect. Then you've got fairness. Yeah, everyone says that they're fair, but are they really so value is more important than cost is a really important tenant of this concept of fairness. And then really practical things like ask yourself, is the REM being offered to the agency viable for them? If if you're taking a see no evil approach and they couldn't survive on what's being offered, or you're asking for a Lexus for the price of a Corolla, then you're not being fair. Um, the third major principle is transparency. 
God, we've been banging on about this for a long time, but this is again transparency on both sides. So right up front of the process, be transparent about what you're marking the agencies on. That's an absolute key one. And there's other examples of transparency and how that should be delivered on both sides. And then the final big principle is accountability. And so we have this on both sides. Accountability really is a way of describing good project management skills. So how are you conveying decision rights? Have you conveyed timelines? How are you keeping to timelines? How are you resourcing this so you can meet the project as you've planned it out? That They're all forms of accountability. So they're the big four. Thank you, Megan. And now, Mark Code, with that said, you've said, uh, I think in, in the webcast um, a couple of weeks ago on this, that maybe 50 to 50 to 60% of the reviews you've witnessed are broadly aligned to the new tender and pitching guidelines. Now, if I flip that, it means 40 to 50% of tenders in market are not optimal. Uh, that seems pretty significant. How hopeful are you that this initiative will create the behavioural change in the market that, that everyone here is wanting to see? Yeah, I think I said at the time that 50 to 60% of pitches would breach at least something in these guidelines. So that doesn't make them bad pitches. So I, th I think I drew that distinction. So, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the other half are bad pitches. I'm just saying that a lot of them would breach part of this. And that might just be the number of participants, for example. It's hardly a breach more of misdemeanor, but not not, not all of them certainly follow these guidelines. I think um, thinking through this conversation, um, and I was thinking this before, this topic can really easily degenerate into a um, agency, um, you know, whinge fest. You know, it's not fair, we do too much work. That's not what this is about. I mean, yeah, we can talk about how we can square that up a little and how we can, you know, put less 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 owner, uh, onerous tasks on the agency to achieve the objectives. But this is about advertisers finding the right partners. That, that's a massive part of this. You know, if they don't, then, well, that, that, that's that's what a lot, a lot of this is designed to do. And, you know, we talk about the role of procurement in that. If we go back to payment terms as an example of that, if that's a priority to procurement and it's not a priority necessarily to the marketing teams, then they'll end up with the agencies they deserve. That The agencies that are successful and are able to invest in talent and scale and capability, they're not the ones that are going to give away 120, 180-day payment terms. They're just not. Um, and, I, and, you know, you'd be surprised at how many examples I've seen at the end of a pitch process where the marketers go, you know what, you were the ones we actually wanted, but we, but, 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 but we couldn't get you through procurement. Um, that's a tough one because no one wins out of that. So how common is that though, I guess, Mark, is, is, is in your experience? More than you think. Right. It doesn't happen all the time. But it, again, it goes back to the connection between the marketing teams and the procurement teams. If they're aligned on the objectives, it works incredibly well, but often they're not. And to use, I think, Megan's analogy, the marketing team want a Lexus because they know what innovation can bring to the party. They know that innovation can drive ROI. They, they understand the value of creativity. Um, but when it comes down to a uh, race to the bottom on cost with procurement, that, that gets lost along the way. There's no doubt. Jenny Dill, how do marketers bridge that gap, But that gap that sometimes is there between marketing and procurement? What's the way around that? For me, it's always about being really clear what your business needs and having those conversations as tough as they need to be 
internally first before you get anywhere near writing a brief um, to get agencies involved. I think you've got to be clear on the waiting for the decisions. What's going to be strategic? What's going to be creativity? What's going to be you know innovation? What's going to be cost? What's going to be just basic, you know, spots and dots? Um, and be really, really clear how you're going to make a decision on a weighted average basis, so that you can all focus on what's important and have those conversations first internally before you get to the point where you're actually briefing agencies and listening to pitches. And when you do that, do you find that procurement responds? accordingly? Yeah, I think you can have really open and honest conversations about those things. I think you can, if you're in different points of view, just like any negotiation, why are you miles apart? Where do you, what do you need to do to, to get closer together? And how do you agree on what you need to do to go forward? Jenny Malhush, I mean, I know you talk about your, your procurement team at Westpac being A1, but in, in, in broadly in the market, how do you bridge the gap? Well, I, I think cost is only one aspect. Yes, it's an important one, but it's really only one. So us as marketers, we need to be educating procurement about what else agencies can bring to the table, uh, but also what else an agency does for us. There's a lot more than just the bottom line and the cost. And like I said before, at some point, you're going to bottom out in terms of how low you can get it. And and, and also too, it depends on how much how much inventory and, and, and how many briefs you're going to give to the agency. Um, and a saying that I, I, I like to use, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I'll say it anyway because I believe in it, which is buy cheap, buy twice. So it can actually cause a big problem. If you're just focused on cost, I, I don't think it's going to take very long in, until you realise there's, there's a lot more going on in there that you need to deal with. Megan Browner, your thoughts on, on that? And also, I'm probably fascinated a little bit, you, you've also been in the consulting business, do tenders and reviews and pitches and so forth, is it the same issues there or is it different in a, in, 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 you know, in a big consulting firm versus what you see in agencies? It's quite different because the level of granular financial data that is frequently sought in agency pitches is absolutely shocking, I think. Really, apart from being onerous and intrusive, often unnecessary. On the agency's own books, you mean, or about the about the media they're buying? No, no, on, on the nature of their commercial businesses. Right. All of that data that is required to be provided, I can't see how it really unearths best fit between the brand and the agency. It seems to be so off course for the goal of the marketer trying to find the best relationship and the best fit for their brand, particularly if some of the um, sort of more specialist skills or the more intangible value that's provided by the agency is what can help a marketer create competitive advantage. And I, I, I'm really surprised that these practices continue given they cannot be providing value and they clearly would result in an unhappy start to a relationship. Um, and so that would be one of the main differences I'd see between perhaps not a typical agency, but typical of the not great tenders that, um, run by advertisers. Well, how do we get there, Megan, and maybe Mark as well, but how do we, why is that uh, sort of such a requirement uh, in the process for agencies, but not other 
partners, I guess you could call them. That's a whole different topic in mind. I mean, I, I think we've so lost our way in the nature of the relationship we have with, with one another. You know, we're not agents at all. We're principals. We take the responsibility to pay the media vendors, whether the clients pay us or not. Um, but we still, and we get forced down this sort of fixed price model. If, if I showed you some of the templates we've been asked to populate as part of the pitch, pitch process, you'd be, you'd be amazed. I mean, these are 12, 15, 20 tab spreadsheets with costs for every possible day part, channel mix, whatever you could possibly think of, channels that some clients haven't bought for five years. Um, but we're still asked to populate a template and be held to the price under a fixed price model. Um, and then there's a whole debate over um, how it's delivered and whether we're agents or not. And I, 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 that's a whole different topic. It is a whole new, a different topic, but I've got to ask two CMOs while I have them their, your thoughts on that. So Jenny Dill first and, and what we've just seen there in terms of just the granularity on the financials uh, in an agency uh, tender process versus another professional services category or sector. What's your thoughts on that? I tend to agree with Mark and Megan. It's, um, it's, it's become onerous. It's become a very big spreadsheet exercise and I think that is where sometimes the fishing expedition comes in. Um, instead of being crystal clear on what you want and what you need and how you're best going to be served in an agency relationship, you ask for all of the things you might possibly need in the next 10 years. And, and that creates a huge amount of work on both sides. I don't have the time to read through all of that. I don't have time to go through that time six agencies and then come to a decision. It's, it's a whole work industry at that point, and you're moving further and further away from what you really need and how best to get it. Jenny Malhewish? Yeah, I think um, we, we focus on the spots and dots when it gets down to that point in terms of the spreadsheets. And I don't know about you guys, but everyone that I work with wants the best talent and amazing talent to work on their brands, and they come at a cost. So. I, like, like I said before, if, if, you, if you're really not careful, you will end up doing more work internally, trying to manage more because you aren't putting the right level of servicing and managing that with costs. I think it's really important. Costs just can't be about spots and dots. It needs to be about the talent you've got on your account as well. Mark Code, you're about to say something. I'll get fired up if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we are talking about before. This is the disconnect I was clumsily trying to suggest before. If When, when, when marketing procurement are aligned, it works brilliantly. You know, I either want a Corolla or I want a Lexus. So go and get me the best one you can find at the best possible price. But the number of pitch briefs that are strategic briefs, I want creativity, I want innovation, I want your best people. And then we fill out the 15 tabs on the spreadsheet that procurement asks for. And we it, literally, I'm not exaggerating, mate, it comes back to us heat mapped. These areas you're too cheap, these areas you're too expensive. And then we win or lose it based on the heat map of the tabs on the spreadsheet. And all the creativity and innovation strategic briefs we did three months ago are forgotten about. In, in the bad ones, not in all of them, in the bad ones. Megan, why does procurement uh, look that way with agencies and not in other professional services sectors? How does that, same, same team involved, I'm imagining, same department? I don't know that it is. I think marketing is in some ways a function that is unique in the use of procurement services, or it's been bundled with more, um, unfortunately for marketers, good marketers, sometimes it gets bundled with uh, sort of lower value services. Um, and that's not healthy because the same approach is used for procuring toilet paper as it is for marketing services. And that's, that's I think, a problem. And that doesn't happen really to the same extent 
at a sort of a, a, a higher margin consulting. So to Jenny and Jenny, knowing how the client side works, will this shift the market? First question, and does it require a fundamental change in what advertisers expect from an agency tender or review process and how they conduct them? I, I, I mean, I think that marketers need to be crystal clear on what they need as an outcome of the process and let that help shape what the process becomes. I think when you're not clear on the outcome, I think the process becomes a fishing expedition, which is multiple agencies, multiple briefs, multiple data um, data points, everyday parts spotted and dotted with cost. I think it becomes a massive fishing expedition. I think when marketers are crystal clear on what they need to help their business grow, I think the whole process can get much more pointy and much more focused and it allows you to actually find a way through it that gets you to the partnership that you need to help grow your business at the other end versus the lowest cost denominator. Got it. Jenny Malhewish, a fundamental change required in what advertisers expect from an agency review process and how they do it. Yeah, just to add to what um, Jenny said, which I, I, I agree with, I actually would take it one step further and say a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So it's not that they go into this wanting to do the wrong thing. It's they've never really had a document or been educated on how to do it well. So firstly, yes, I think this guide will be fantastic and I think it will change the market. Secondly, I would really um, push the agencies to help their clients because if you actually sat down, went through the guide with them, took them through a way that it could be less painful, less stressful if they haven't done it before, there's, there's nothing wrong with you guys helping educate the client side either. So I hope it does change. I know, uh, Mark, your comment about the 50% was was more so based off not everybody hits those, those four things. So success would be that people enjoy the pitch process, not to the point where they're wanting to do it all the time, but you come out of it refreshed and you've learned something. God forbid you've had a little bit of fun, but you're respectful, um, you learn with great people and yeah, I think it'll be fantastic. So so well done to the team for putting it together. So to wrap this up, because it's been a great conversation, but we don't want to drag on too much about procurement, for instance, but so in a year's time, to all of you, in a year's time, uh, what do you hope to see? How do you define the success of this in initiative? Um, Megan Brownlow, to you first. Three things I'd be looking for. Upskilled marketers. I see this as a tool for professional development. The second one would be fewer tenders. And the third one would be reduced churn in younger employees, both younger marketers and younger agency folk. These are knowledge workers, they're valuable talent. Anything that creates pain and friction for them, which a poorly run tender would do, is a bad thing. So if we can remove the poorly run tenders, we should have a flow through effect of lower churn. Great points. Uh, Jenny Melhewish, what do you want to see in a year's time? What do you hope? To, for that stat to change, you would hope that we'd get to about 80, 90% of clients doing um, mostly the right thing or being aware of the right process. And, and like I just wrapped up and said a little bit before, enjoying the process and actually building really strong relationships out of it. Jenny Deal? For me, it's about making sure you can find the right partners for your business with less time involved and less friction. Um, to get better outcomes for all. And then recognising that it's a long-term relationship, just like you have your brand team. You want your great agency partners to be long-term relationships. And with that comes um, ups and downs in ways of working. It comes some tough conversations from time to time. But if you go into it with a, with a long-term mindset, 
you will be in a much better place because you're not pitching at the drop of a hat or at a, you know, one thing that doesn't go right. You've, you've actually genuinely got a long-term business partnership there. Great point. Uh, um, I've left the final rant to you, Mark Code. I figure you might have something to say and I thought I'd better leave you some open space. Uh, your hopes, dreams and wishes for the next 12 months. I'm not a ranter. What are you talking about? No, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, look, at the end of the day, I've worked in media agencies my whole career and I've never lost sight uh, and it served me pretty well um, the clients aren't in the business of planning and buying media. They're in the business of selling their products and services. And we're a means to that end. Um, so, you know, the, the purpose of pitching is to get better outcomes, to have better partnerships where, you know, clients are able to sell more of their products and services. Agencies are able to flourish by selling clients more of our products and services to help them achieve that. And we're all in a we're all, we're all in a better place. That's that's what it's ultimately designed to do, better outcomes. Thank you all. So the two Jennies, Jenny Dill, Jenny Malhewish, Megan Brownlow, Mark Code. This sounds like we might get somewhere for a, a journalist. It's not good news because there's going to be less to write about because there's going to be less people getting cranky, but it's a good thing for the industry. So I'll take one for the team on that. Thanks for joining all of you. It was a great conversation and we will wrap around in, uh, in another six months or so and get, a, get a, an update. Thanks for joining. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Listener.